You won't know their specific shape of their, of their flesh. You won't know the specific nature of their idolatry. What is it that they are actually trusting in and why? How did that come about? And those are the kind of questions that are, are godly in their curiosity, not intrusive or just to point the finger, but I wonder how this person got like that. I wonder how this person, where did this person get to believe that as long as they were wealthy and powerful, then their life would be happy? And you begin to ask questions about that because you are genuinely curious. You're not trying to catch them out. You want to know them. You want to have a conversation that goes beyond the surface to find out what they're really like inside. How did this come about in their life? What was their background? What shaping experiences did they have? What did they learn to do or not to do in order to lay hold of the things that they thought would give them um, uh, pleasure and avoid the things that they thought would give them pain? What's often relevant is, is what religious influences have they been exposed to? Where are they now in relation to spiritual matters? Are they aware of the existence of God? Are they aware of the presence of God? Have they ever felt the presence of God? Are they aware that they are truly, deep down in their lives, hungering and thirsting for God? Do they know that it's God that they're really looking for? Are they actually seeking him? Is there something about them that says to you, that person's seeking God, either directly or indirectly? You want to know what obstacles there are there in their minds and in their lives that kind of keep them from coming to Christ right now? Is it their culture? Is there something in their background, their upbringing? Is there some past experience, either a positive experience saying, well, I was born into a millionaire's home and I've got everything taken care of. I don't need God. I've got all that I need. Is that it? Or is it that they, they found their soulmate in life and think, I don't need anything. I've got this man, I've got this woman, I'm happy, I've got my children, everything's fine. I don't need God. Or what about some negative experiences? Very often people are actively against God because they've suffered in some way. How could God let this happen? Maybe they've been offended. Maybe they've got some prejudices against Christianity. Why? Is it just the spirit of the age the ABC spirit, anything but Christian. Notice how the devil doesn't mind promoting any religion, but as soon as Bible-believing Christianity is put forward, it, you, the demons manifest. Do they have genuine intellectual problems? A lot of people say they've got intellectual problems. They want to argue with you. Well, if God is good, how could there be so much suffering? How could this God that you say is good send people to hell? What about Joshua and killing all the babies there in the Old Testament and so on? Where these are genuine intellectual problems, you don't avoid it, but very often it's not. This is a smokescreen. Sometimes there are moral problems. They say, well, there's no way that I can follow this Christ of yours, it means I'll have to give up this and give up that and give up the other. Well, they're getting the right idea, but they're thinking that they're giving up the positive stuff and the good stuff. No, they're giving up the junk. Dr. Joyce Sivaratnam, who's a medical doctor, we know from Malaysia, we spent three months with him a number of years ago, and uh, he told the story of he was called to hospital to pray for a man and give medical attention if he could, a man who was dying in hospital. He had gangrene in one leg, and that leg was amputated. 
Gangrene was setting in the other leg, and he was soon to be amputated. And Dr. Joyce said to him, you know, you need Christ. And oh, I, 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 you know, I, I couldn't possibly do that. I, how, how could I give up sinning? The man had one leg off, another leg off. He was about to die. What sin was left? I think sin had given up on him. And this is how deceived we are. Maybe moral problems. Many times today with the, with the modern morality, Christianity is seen to be negative because we make a moral stance on certain things, sexual matters and so on. And they say, well, you know, this is, this is, this is old Victorian Christ, um, morality. We don't want it. Well, we're not preaching morality. Don't ever preach morality. You don't have to be a Christian or born again to preach morality. There are a lot of moral people, moral atheists. A lot of moral people come from different religions. This is not about morality. It's about Jesus. Maybe there are some deeper spiritual issues, demonic issues, deeper religious, philosophical issues. But always, in every single one of them, there will be an inbuilt legalism that says, this is what I must do in order for God to accept me, and this is what I must do if I want God to bless me, and I'm prepared to go to whatever religion is necessary to ensure that God is in my life so that my life will work out my way and God will help me. Sometimes I think it's wrong to get people to ask God into their lives. I think it's more about God inviting us into his life. So that's what we don't yet know about them, but we're curious to find out and we can ask and talk. And, and without even mentioning uh, the gospel truths or texts, just talk to them, find out about them. But before we do that, we need to really ask ourselves, how do we see them? Do we really see them as the creation of God, made in his image? Precious, precious, wonderful people. People for whom Jesus has already died because he has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for every one of them. Loved by God, are they loved by you? Loved by God, hopefully loved by you, but missing the whole point of their life. Slaves, trapped in sin and condemnation, desperately, urgently needing God, even if they don't realize it. We must, first of all, check our hearts. Say, God, is this, what, is this how I really see them? And you know, if you really give these people a chance, you'll discover that God never makes a mistake. Every one of his creation. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I, I sit with these non-Christians and I am astonished. I am amazed at the beauty and glory of God that is in them, even though they don't yet know him, because they're still made in his image, even though that image has been marred by sin. How do you approach them? Love them as they are. Love them as they are. That's the only way they're going to come. We sing it so often, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. As I am. 
love them as they are, discover them, get to know them at a deeper than surface level, and begin to discern what the Spirit is doing in their lives. Begin to have a vision of what they could become in Christ. And if you're in the Spirit, the Spirit will show you. And begin to connect with them deeply. Affirm what the Holy Spirit is doing in them, even if it looks strange and far from God. I told the story of a, of a man who I know and we're friends and every time I, I'm in town I will spend time with him and his girlfriend and a lot of social things and he's a Muslim recently converted to Islam and I, I was really offended because I thought look why do you think I'm your friend so why, why do you think I got friendly with you in the first place it's because I like you <laughs> you're supposed to come to Jesus That's, this is friendship evangelism and the whole point about it is that if they discern that you are interested in them only to get them to come to Christ or to come to your church or come to your cell they're going to feel manipulated anyway when I heard he'd become a Muslim I was devastated I don't see him frequently because I only when I'm traveling in town in that town and and um, I said tell me something tell me what's what happened and this is what he said he said I got so tired of seeing all these people drunk out for themselves thought there must be something more and I felt God Pinch my heart. That's the Holy Spirit. You say, wait a minute, it's the wrong God. I never said that God, that God didn't do it. But our God did. That was God telling him, you need to get to know me. So he had a kind of experience and said, well, where, where is this Christianity, isn't it? That's for sure. No way, not going that way. And he turned to Islam. Now it's his choice, but I do think the choice has been influenced by the negative Christianity he's been exposed to. And there wasn't, not even me, a friend available at that time to say, God's pinched your heart. Let me tell you what that means. Pray for him. Pray for him. God, God is definitely at work. He's just taken it totally the wrong direction. And of course we know that the enemy is not inactive. He is always active. How many thousands of young people are there like that out there? And older people who, who are hungry for God and sense that and then just go for the first alternative, the first, the first thing. If you want to buy an encyclopedia, the first salesman will sell you one. We need to be there, right where the Spirit is, working with them. And so when you see what God is doing and affirm that, that brings a connection. 
Just as Amanda was saying, when we talk to each other at a spiritual level and we discern what God's doing and communicate that and get behind that, there's instant connection. And, and this is wonderful. It works exactly in the same way. Wherever the Spirit is at work, if we recognize what the Spirit is doing, get behind what the Spirit is doing, the doors are wide open. Even if it looks strange, when I was um, in, in uh, France um, last summer, I went to a, a concert of some man that we are seeking to witness to and share, with, share Jesus with and encourage and so on. And he was, he was a great singer. It was a concert, very kosher up there in the mountains. Everything was fine. And afterwards they said, um, oh, would you like to come out for a, a bite to eat, maybe have a drink or two? I thought, well, I'm hungry. And I like that particular red stuff that is served in this part of the world, so off I'll go. So of course, and it was really wonderful. There's a whole group of people. There was mums and kids, and, and, and it was really great, big, big group of people. So of course, the, the concert finished late. We got into town late, and so everything was closing down. So they went from place to place to place till 5 a.m. in the morning. 5 a.m. in the morning. I thought to myself, dear Jesus, whenever did I get involved with this? <laughs> And they all got to know me. And at the end, here's what one lady said. Remember, these people don't know Jesus. They have a Catholic background. That's their, that's their culture. And this lady said, you know, if more priests were like you, we'd all be at the Mass every Sunday. So you could say, what? Priest? Mass? You could be offended. I wasn't offended. I was honored because what she was really saying, I see something of Jesus in you. And that's the only language she had. So instead of correcting, I am not a priest, can't you see this? I'm Protestant. Mass is a mess. No, thank you. I didn't do that. I recognized that God in some way had begun to touch her. And there was something positive, an impression that was left. Now she's not yet a believer in Jesus as far as I know, but I could see the Holy Spirit working even though it looked strange. And if you are really concerned about the Holy Spirit's work, pray for them. Pray for them and persevere in prayer and be there for them. In all your conversation and all you're doing, you've got one objective, to make God look good. Do it all for his glory. And somehow, by the way we live, we've got to show them what we have. And it's no good saying, well, I know I'm going, I'm going, I know, I'm knowing when I'm going, where I'm, when I'm gone, I know. It's not just, not just about that. There's a right time for that kind of thing, but, but they're not gonna to listen to you at all unless they've seen something in you. What is it that we have? What have we got that if we just let it shine because it really is real in us, they're gonna say, hey, you know, I want that. We gotta live in such a way as they ask questions. 
what's going on here? We need to be enigmatic. They say, well, I don't understand him. He's been, without, been out with us all night till 5 a.m. And he's not drunk. Why? Everybody else is drinking, and, but he's not. Not to that extent. He's having great fun. He's having great time. He loves being, what is it? We never thought that a pastor, priest, pastor, could be so friendly. One man said to me, he said, um, are you married? <laughs> oh dear, I'm in trouble now. Yes, I said. I knew that, but I had to recalculate this. I've been married for 35 years. He literally fell over backwards. I mean, he was on his chair, he rocked the chair back. 35 years! I said, yes. I thought it was because I looked too young. <laughs> no, it was because he'd never met anybody being married that long. To the same woman. You know what he did next? He got up, walked over to me and shook me by the hand. And he said, let's talk. I've just broken up with my girlfriend. How do I know? What went wrong? How do I know? You've been married for 35 years to the same woman. Tell me. Don't misunderstand me when I say that's the grace of God. That could be taken the wrong way. Come on, do you think you don't need the grace of God to live a life? Everything's by the grace of God. Double grace on Amanda, of course. <laughs> <laughs>